Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran, a ministry of Worship Generation Church in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. How many people have stepped in eternity, billions, and said, oh, when they stepped in eternity, like, oh, can I go back and do all that? No, you can't. You got to live by faith right now and go get it. Now, the second one is this. Abraham justified by faith. So now we go forward in Genesis. We go now to Genesis 15. Now, I focus on this Tuesday night. So if you're here Tuesday night, this is going to seem familiar. But so he's called to a life of faith. And then in Genesis 15, he'd gone to the promised land. He was living the life in the promised land. But, you know, God promised him that all families in the world would be blessing him, and he can't produce a child because his wife is barren, and he's older, and he's like, man, this isn't working. Like, Eliezer, my servant, is going to, you know, my right-hand man is going to be heir to everything that God's promised me. How's that going to work? How's that going to look? And so right after he'd been delivered, he'd fought the battle against Chedorlaomer and the kings when he rescued Lot. He cries out to the Lord in in Genesis 15, verse 2. Abraham says this. And he's still called Abram at this point. He hasn't gotten his name changed, but he's moving toward it. Uh, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? By this time, Abraham was wealthy. Then Abram said, look, you've, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. In other words, Eliezer's kid. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. So God responds saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And as Abraham looked up at those stars, he looked up at those stars, which his fathers had worshipped in idolatrous practices. He looked up at those stars and he saw the God of heaven who promised promises beyond man and men and their abilities. He looked at those stars and he thought of the person of the Lord and the promise of the Lord. And we are told as he looked at those stars, he believed in the Lord. He believed in the person of God and he believed in the promise of God. He believed in the Lord and that the Lord, when he saw Abraham's belief, God accounted it him for righteousness. He was declared righteous before God, not because he did any one good deed, kept the Ten Commandments, or helped a, a little old lady cross the street, or, you know, someone's car died and they helped, you know, push the car out of the road. He, or gave $5 to a homeless person outside of Albertsons. He is declared righteous because he simply believed in God and what God spoke to him. That's his righteousness. It's, we're told it's imputed to his account. In other words, like, it's like you have a bank account of, you know, uh, in Adam, all sin and are dead, or, you know, in Christ, all are made alive. You have like a spiritual bank account, and his bank account, per se, was empty. But when God declared the promise, he believed, it was like the bank account just filled up, like just add zeros, just filled up. It was imputed or reckoned or given to his account. That's what happened. Now, in the New Testament, this is a profound event as it's expanded for us in Romans. Now, 
I'm going to read a little bit of Romans for you. And stay with me because this is important. So that phrase that he believed God and was accounted for righteousness is critical. That verse, as I shared on Tuesday night, is actually quoted three times by the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. All three times, listen, very important, body of Christ, church of Jesus Christ. That Genesis 15, 6 is quoted by the Holy Spirit to tell us believers, disciples of Christ, that we are saved through faith in the person and the work of Jesus, not in any good act, moral or immoral, that we've ever done in our life. That we pass from death to life, from hell to heaven, from darkness to light, from condemnation to justification, when we simply look upon Jesus and believe in who he is and what he's promised to do, forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As Abraham, in black and white, if you will, did so with that promise for an heir to come from him, the church does every time we hear the gospel and people are born again and respond to the Lord. It's the same thing. And so in Romans chapter 4, when Paul the Apostle was explaining theology of being saved by faith and grace and justified by what the Lord's done, not a good work that we could do to go to heaven which eliminates every world religion and human philosophy and only leaves us with Jesus and biblical Christianity. He said in Romans 4, verse 1, What shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to his flesh? In other words, his own self-righteousness. For if Abraham was justified by works or his good deeds, he had something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? It says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but debt. So in other words, God would be a debtor to Abraham if he earned it. But God's not a debtor to Abraham because Abraham received it. He believed and God counted to him. Now, the rest of Romans says, continues on with this in a pretty chunky theology. But I'll skip ahead to verse 16 of chapter 4. And I'm going to read this. And so this is expanding this thought. And I want you to stay with me because this is super important for understanding how we're saved through faith in Jesus and our positional righteousness. Because you and I in Jesus' name, must stir down the grave one day in our future. And on that day, I want you to have full confidence to stare at the grave and not blink. I want you to be full of courage and confidence in that moment when you must transition from this dimension to the next, when you know Jesus is coming and you're gasping for air. I want you to be so sure of who you believed in and you're persuaded he's able to keep that which you've committed to him until that day. I want you in Jesus' name to stand strong and show your greatest act of faith with your last breath of life. Because he will not come for you and save you because you did one good deed in your human experience. He will come and save you because you believe in him for who he is what he's done and has promised to you. And I don't want any demon of hell or delusion of men to move you from that from now to the day of the Lord in your life. Romans 4, 16. Therefore, our salvation, our righteousness is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed or the offspring. Not only those who are of the law, that is the Jewish people, but those who are the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him who we believe. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Who contrary to hope and hope believed. So that he became the father of many nations according to what God, what was spoken. Because God said so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in his faith, that is Abraham. He did not consider his own body already past dead. Since he was a hundred years old. Or the deadness of Sarah's womb because she was barren. 
He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he, God, had promised, he was able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to his account or to him, but for us. It shall be that same righteousness shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised up because of our justification. And here's the kicker, body of Christ. One of those famous passages, and this is our context, coming from Father Abraham, the friend of God. Therefore, okay, what's this all mean from Genesis? Therefore, having been justified by faith, you and me, body of Christ, worship generation, faith in Jesus, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produce perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So, see, Abraham, there in Genesis fifteen six, being justified, believing God being justified, is the black and white version of what we have in full color in the beautiful glory and fullness of Jesus Christ. The things of the Old Testament are shadows of things that come, but Christ is the fullness, and that's what we have tonight. We are justified the same way, and the result of that for our application is this, is what? It's peace. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our peace isn't our best day. Our lack of peace isn't our worst day. Our peace is Jesus Christ on the throne, our Savior delivered up for us and raised up for our justification. That is our peace. Church of Jesus Christ, WG. Don't let any commotion of men or conniving of the devil move you from this peace. The peace of assurance of being justified by faith and having positional righteousness through faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because our confidence is in him and who he is and what he's done. And that hope, Hebrews tells us, is an anchor to our soul. Oh, you know, when I walk out of a room with someone stepping in eternity, like John, our good friend John, who's been gone now for over a year, and I kiss him on the forehead and we sing a praise song together and I know he's going, he knows he's going, and he gives me a thumbs up, I'll tell you how I walk out of that room with confidence. Therefore, having been justified by faith, I have peace with God through my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. John's got peace. I got peace. And I'm not playing religious games when I look at him and I say, I'll see you in glory on the other side. I mean business because it's kingdom business. And it's the great reality. WG, live the life of faith like Abraham. Walk by faith. Press toward faith. Choose faith. Move toward faith. And let the peace of God ruin our hearts because we're justified by our faith and we're declared righteous by our faith in the person, the work, and the promises of Jesus Christ. Abraham is our father. He's from noble father to father of of nations, Sarai, princess, to mother of nations, and this is the faith. We read of Sarah that she didn't consider her own barren womb. She She didn't waver at the promises of God, but she knew God could produce it. Thus, Isaac, the son of promise, is called what? Laughter. 
Because when you look in the mirror and see what a fool you can be and you know you're saved by grace, that should make you laugh. At least it does for me sometimes. Like, <laughs> you're so saved by grace. Just stay out of the way. Stay in your lane and stay out of the way. Which brings us to our third point tonight. So our application, live that life of faith, that destiny, go get it. Stand in this righteousness and let that peace ruin your heart. Let, let your victory be not something you're trying to earn, but something that's already earned and we're coming from it. And then finally, Abraham's work of faith, which brings us to Genesis 22. Now, in Genesis 22, this is where Abraham's faith was tested, right? Because God gave him the son of promise, which was Isaac. And Isaac grew up. And then we're told in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, that it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. Now we got full Abraham, the full name. And said to him, yeah, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah which happens to be where Jesus was crucified at Calvary, the highest piece of land there in Jerusalem. That's where Jesus was crucified, Golgotha. 2,000 years before he was crucified, God tells Abraham to take Isaac there. Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. He split the wood for the burnt offering, arose and went to the place which God had told him, Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad, the boy and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. It's very important. This is Abraham's faith. God says, offer up your son to me through whom I've made all these promises to bless the world. And we're we're a reflection of it now, 4,000 years later. I mean, every promise in Jesus is in this kid, Isaac. He's just every promise. You know, we say the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. They're all in this kid on this day at Mount Moriah. This kid has to live, or he's actually a young man at this point. He has to live. I mean, God's true to his word. God doesn't lie. It's impossible for God to lie. And so he's, because there's none by greater to swear by, he swears by his own name. And he says the promises are in this kid, not Ishmael or anyone else. Isaac? He's testing him. Offer up your son. Wow. Now, faith and positional righteousness at times, it's just so beyond us what God's doing. We have to obey. And we're told in Hebrews 11 concerning this that he obeyed. That by faith he obeyed and offered up his son. When he was tested, he obeyed and offered up his son. He did not withhold his only son. But we're told in Hebrews 11 that He considered his son as good as dead, but knew that he'd be raised up and receive him back, as if you will, in a resurrected manner. So as the New Testament interprets Genesis 22, we're told when he said to the fellows, hey, you guys stay here, the boy and I will come back. He knew, even if his son stopped breathing as a sacrifice, that God would restore his life. He knew And he believed in every cell of his body who God was and the promises of God. And when he looked at those stars so many decades before and said, from your seed, the nations will be blessed. And he believed God was coming from righteousness. He knew on this day when he was tested that he would not come down from that mountain alone. That Isaac would come down with him. And that's a very inspiring faith for all of us. It's an obedient faith, and it inspires us to just be obedient whether we understand what's going on or not. And he did, and he went. And so he went up there, 
And then we read later on in the same chapter that the angel Lord said, don't sacrifice your son. And God showed him the ram. And then later on, verse 14, it says the Lord will provide for himself a sacrifice, not your son. And of course, Jesus Christ was sent by the father to die on the cross for our sins in that very same place 2,000 years later. So Abraham and Isaac is a type of the father giving us his son at this spot. It's an amazing story. He's the friend of God. and He's the father of faith. And that's the way it played out. And that's, that's how it happened. Now, in verse 15 of chapter 22, the angel of the Lord says to Abraham a second time, By myself I've sworn, saying the Lord, because you've done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and the sands which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Can you imagine if your obedience and my obedience bless all the nations of the earth? Like, I think of someone like Hudson Taylor. You know, he obeyed the Lord to go from England in like 1870 to go to China. Had the vision to bring the gospel to millions of people who had never heard the gospel. Had the vision to plant a Christian mission station in every inland province of China, contrary to anything that could have been accepted at that time. Dedicated his life to it. Buried children there. Lost his wife. All these things. But by 1905, he had established a Christian missionary base in every province of inland China. And became a blessing to all China. And really, you know, a lot of missionaries were in China, right? Franklin, Billy Graham's wife, uh, Ruth, her parents were China, you know, missionaries in China. Eric Little, Chariots of Fire. I mean, a lot of people gave their lives for the Lord to China, which at that time was the poorest nation in the world. Between 1850, colonized by all the West, pretty much all the West. And now look at China, like, whoa. And God has a final say with everything, man. You just watch what you do. China's on the rise, right? But in that Chinese nation, communist nation, the underground church is probably the strongest church in the history of the church since the first century. So don't, ever, don't underestimate what your obedience, my obedience, can bring to other people, to the nations, even if we don't understand what God's doing. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful story of Abraham and Isaac, but there's one final thought to it, and that's found in the New Testament. And so we'll end here with the New Testament. In the book of James, chapter 2, we read, and I shared this Tuesday night as well. In James, chapter 2, we have this work of faith, which is what we've been reading about. Because Abraham offered up Isaac. He, he went for it. He did it. He didn't withhold the son. And he obeyed. And it really is a work of faith, which we see now in James, chapter 2. So in James, chapter 2, we read this. If someone says, you have faith and I have works, show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Now, the works we're talking about, the good deeds or good works, they're not the good deeds of self-righteousness to save ourselves. They're the works that God does because we're living for the Lord. The works of faith, verse 19. You believe there is one God, and you do well. Even the demons believe, and they tremble. But do you not know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? So do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect or complete? And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. There it is, Genesis 15, 6. And he was called the friend of God. 
You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Now again, these works are not the works of the law, because that would contradict the entire Bible. But it's the works of faith. And this brings me to a closing thought for all of us. When I was in Florida last week, I got to spend time with my youngest son, Luke. It's always fun to spend time with Luke. He's, he's a genius, literally. And he's a deep thinker. Sometimes I'm talking to Luke about theology. I feel like I'm talking to Dietrich Bonhoeffer or something, some deep thinker. I'm like, gosh, Luke, is, uh, I got to go for a walk, man. Like he just, he thinks about things. He said, but he, ta- he said this, you know, Dad, so many Christians in our culture, America, they focus on being saved by grace, but they don't ever focus on going forward in the works of faith. And I said, well, like, elaborate. He's like, well, think about it, Dad. All these people that go forward at crusades and, and things this and say a prayer to receive the Lord. And they're focused on what they're getting out of, but they're not focused on what they're moving toward. And he goes, it is a narrow gate. And Dad, how many people go to church all over America who are only focused on what they got out of, but aren't focused on what they're going toward? For an Adam, now I'm talking all sin and die, but in Christ, all are made alive. And we're, we're not... We don't work to save ourselves, but we're given positional righteousness by believing God, having imputed, but then we enter into a work, which is exactly what Ephesians 2 tells us. By grace you've been saved, that through faith, not of works, lest we should boast. But then we're told that incredible passage, for we are his workmanship. That is the work, which brings us back to the destiny, which brings us back to the friendship, which brings us back to the restoration of all things lost with the sin in the Garden of Eden. You and I, and everyone that's a disciple of Jesus Christ in every time zone of every ethnicity on planet Earth right now, joining the saints that came before us and those that will come after us if the Lord tarries, we're the ongoing legacy that we are a work of art. And we're more than a dream, and we're more than beyond a dream. We are a destiny. And that destiny is to be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ from dead works. And it is to be saved to a workmanship of a life of faith that pleases God, honors God, obeys God, and is radical for God and brings him honor and glory from here to eternity, his masterpiece, or literally in Ephesians 2.10, his work of art. And see, you can't be my work of art. Who'd want to be me? I'm a pretty unusual display in a museum, aren't I? And I can't be you. We're all our own redeemed crackpot. We are his workmanship. And that's what Luke was saying in his deeper way. That people settle for being a lump of clay and never letting God make them who they're meant to be for all eternity on display for glory. And as we read in in Romans 5, there is tribulation, there is perseverance, and there is hope, and there's character, and there's glory, and there's peace in it all. Abram, who is Abraham, chose that life. And when he offered up Isaac, he gave all of us an example of what it means to let our life be a work of faith. And when we get past just being saved by grace and doing nothing, but when we take being saved from something and saved to something and live that life to the fullest, and if you feel good about it today, good for you and good for me. If you don't, then we're on the clock. That's how we're told by Paul, redeem the time for the days are evil. Or as Elizabeth Elliot used to say, do something. Do something. But he did it. See, The real test of our redemption and the evidence of our faith, we could say it's humility and not pride, others and not self. Those are pretty obvious. But the real test is, is the acts and action of an obedient heart to the Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is the book of Acts. And that is the legacy of the church. And that's who we're meant to become.
We're going from glory to glory. And, you know, the amazing thing about this is in offering up Isaac, the gospel was displayed. See, the, the subtleties and the implications of the gospel were in Abraham's life in his calling all people, all families. And then by believing, it's kind of for righteousness. That's how we're saved through faith in Jesus. And then offering up Isaac, it's the example. It's literally Isaac going up and Isaac coming down. It's the crucifixion and the resurrection. And it's all there for us. And Abraham, who's the friend of God, let his life prove his faith, his justification by faith, his life of living by faith, and he became the friend of God. And I would say in Jesus' name, we do well to do the same. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and our church YouTube channel. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. For more information about Pastor Joey personally, you can follow him on his Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and God bless.